This podcast episode is brought to you by Iron Source. Iron Source are not a spinach-based nutrition company, as their name might suggest, but are actually a game tech company which builds technologies that help you guys take your games to the next level. The company is developing the leading growth engine for mobile games, offering a robust monetization management platform and data-driven user acquisition platform. What sets IronSource apart is their ability to close the monetization and marketing loop to help developers supercharge growth in a super efficient way. So whether you're looking to drive revenue or to scale your audience smartly and ROI positively, IronSource is a perfect partner for you. We here at Deconstructor of Fun are giant fans of IronSource because it's truly a growth platform that a developer of all sizes can leverage. So we suggest that you head on over to ironsource.com, ironsrc.com, and check out the platform for yourself. Thanks. Folks, most mobile advertisers are increasingly aware of the dangers of app install fraud. In fact, global financial exposure to app install fraud in the first half of 2020 was $1.6 billion. And even though the mobile ad industry has grown exponentially to defend itself properly against ad fraud, the potential amount of damage is still extremely high and fraudsters will always want a piece of that pie. Now, fraud methods are constantly evolving and adapting to solutions in the market. Still, staying protected and applying sophisticated anti-fraud solutions are very much a necessity for all marketers. As you all know, our good partner AppSlyer offers super robust fraud protection, making sure you're not paying for that bogus traffic. AppSlyer is also perhaps the best attribution platform on mobile. A true foundation for your marketing tech stack, giving you all the tools to drive that marketing success. And listen, it's not only us at here at Deconstructor of Fun raving about AppSlyer. Playrix, Tencent, Playtica, Square Enix, Huge Games, all of these companies and many more are using AppSlyer to boost their business. So go to appsflyer.com and get yourself attribution and fraud protection you can trust. All right, here we are, Twig 104. Welcome, guys. Today we have a little bit of a different crew. We have myself, Joe Kim, V. Eric Triggered Cress, Kenny Liu is back, and we also have Jeff Witt, the world's greatest systems designer and consultant. And the topics that we'll be covering today is first, Amazon wants to win at games, so why hasn't it by Wired? Second, Genshin Impact made $60 million in its first week on mobile loan by Sensor Tower. And finally, World of Warcraft next expansion delayed by Polygon. Wow, Eric. I- is that last article something people care about? <laughs> hey, I care about. I care about it. So you care about it. That's the way this shit works, right? All right, all right. I guess so. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just an ongoing theme about what happens when you mismanage creative and design talent, right? This ongoing thing. Amazon, of course, and now Blizzard, and then everyone else that's been destroyed by consultants all right so we can roll right into updates unless anyone else has any other news to report no all right <laughs> it's gonna be one of those kind of podcasts. wait okay all right so the, so the big problem here is that we need adam back like like adam adds uh the, the glue that brings this thing together right because he you know he just actually does some work on this stuff we are just being lazy so adam get back enough of these enough of this like bougie vacation in your cabin in the woods dude 
<laughs> is it a vacation right. at that point, or is it his now his real life? You know, this is normal I, life. I, I don't. Yeah, he is living the bouge up in Canada. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with him, dude. He's uh, he, he may be too good for us now, right? It's over, right? You know, <laughs> he had his stay with. He, he's like slumming it with us, and now he's up there in Canada living the life. You know. <laughs> All right, and as far as updates, I'll go ahead and start. But first update for me is that Unity just announced a games publishing initiative it calls the Game Growth P Program. Just by reading about the program, it does seem that Unity seems like they're trying to downplay this and not make it seem like a mobile games publishing program. But when you read through the de details, it clearly is. But uh, the initial focus seems to be focused on indies, and we'll see what happens with that. Next, the BBC is reporting that Playrick's ads in Homescapes and Gardenscapes have been banned because they were classified as misleading in the UK by the UK's Advertising Standards Authority, or ASA. And we had previously reported here on the podcast that Google has actually included language in their developer policy that specifically called out these types of ads. However, I have confirmed that while Google has this in their developer policy, they have not been enforcing this policy for whatever reason. Wait, well, what the heck were these ads? Yeah, no, I've seen them all over. And it's not just Playrix. All sorts of genres of games use them. It's, yeah, it's so stupid. I hate like, them. <laughs> yeah. What are they? It's like, it's like, well, you know, uh, it shows one type of gameplay. You go and it's like a, it's like a shooter, <laughs> you know, like you might see a, a different kind of game and then you click the ad and then it's, but it's a different game. It's, it's basically oh, in, increased top of funnel conversion into, into app installs. Got it. Got it. Besides that, next update is that yesterday Roblox confirmed rumors that it has filed with the SEC to go public early next year. We reported on this rumor already last week, but now we have confirmation. So, oh my God, I'm already getting calls. This is gonna be this is gonna be worse than Unity because this one is right in my wheelhouse, and uh, I'm, yeah, I gotta get my thoughts aligned on what this means. I definitely would be a buyer of Roblox versus Unity, but as I say this, Unity is at like a hundred dollars a share. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, still, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Next, Business Insider is reporting that an Apple subscriber has filed a lawsuit against Apple accusing the company of shutting out mobile game competitors such as Microsoft and Google, Google services when it blocks apps like Xbox Game Pass and Stadia. The subscriber, Ted Sweeney, said that by preventing other games <laughs> off of Apple devices, players are forced to pay higher prices and get a less robust game selection. And by the way, I am just kidding. That we don't. The name of the subscriber wasn't mentioned, but I, I assume it's uh, Tim Sweeney's cousin or brother. I, I, I think that was the best joke you've ever had on this podcast. That, I know. I, 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 yeah, that was a good one, Joseph. All right. All right. Final update is that Amazon announced last Friday on the Play Crucible website their final Crucible developer update. In the update, they announced that development will be discontinued and Crucible, which is Amazon Games' first PC shooter, will be fully shut down by November 9th. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Too bad. <laughs> oh, well. All right, there it is. Twig 104 in the books. See y'all later. Bye. Okay, people, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsor, Beta Hat, and then we will be right back. So stay tuned. I want to talk about consumer insights. Honestly, I've always had issue with consumer insights. I questioned the value and felt that CI was always somewhat disconnected from the real world. 
Big issue with CI firms is they don't hire people that know anything about video games and therefore don't have a fundamental understanding of what matters in this business. That's why I like Beta Hat. Beta Hat knows the business of video games and understands how to connect consumer insights to the real world. And Beta Hat helps you understand your customers, understand not only what they do, but why. They specialize in customer segmentations, brand tracking, messaging and positioning, pricing and skew planning, and playtesting through qualitative and quantitative research. There are about 10 people in this industry that I rely upon to understand trends. And one of them is Stan Kwan, the CEO of Beta Hat. Beta Hat is the best CI team in the industry. Go to betahatmr.com for more information. That's betahatmr.com. Welcome back from the commercial break, and let's start the news. And speaking of Crucible being shot down, our first news article is Amazon wants to win a game, so why hasn't it by Wired Magazine? And while we have discussed the failure of Amazon to achieve success in games pretty pretty often here on this podcast, and it has been well covered, I do think that so some people in terms of this article have said it's it's kind of a little too little too late in terms of piling onto Amazon. But for me personally, I'm a fan of some of these more in-depth articles that really try to get into the details about how things actually went down and kind of the the story behind the story in, in terms of some of these companies. And some of these articles, like there was a really good one about Telltale and Starbreeze. I personally felt were pretty well written and it's really great to get kind of the inside story on some of these some of these events. But uh, so I highly recommend that people check it out. I'll have um, a link in the show notes, but definitely check this out. But in response to the story by Wired, Amazon's director of communication stated, quote, making great games is hard and we're not going to get everything right, especially at the beginning. That's part of the nature of inventing, as we've learned in lots of new areas Amazon has pursued. We continue to learn and create better games by listening to customers. So for me, I mean, we we kind of bag on (laughs) Microsoft and McKinsey a lot, but this, this really smacks of that kind of strategy, right? Like how do you... You know, in the work that they do when when you're designing products for e-commerce or enterprise software products, you know, you kind of do like a bunch of surveys, you get customer feedback, and it feels like this is kind of the same approach that Amazon has been taking to game development. But in terms of the article itself, I thought the one other issue that it covered that I was never fully able to understand was this issue with Lumberyard. Like, why did they do that? If you want, like, why would you stack risk on top of risk and try to do so much, build the game and the engine and things like that? And for me, it really reminded me of some of the approach that some of these execs at these big companies take, where they basically just try to take you know, 50 shots on goal and just hope something pans out. And then the funny part is that, you know, you've got all these failures and one success. And then and then you see these execs and these, you know, news stories taking credit for that success. And even they, they only greenlit it. They're like, well, when I made this thing and when I did this and, and, and sort of that, it really feels that this type of situation is, is what's playing out in Amazon. But anyway... I will conclude here by saying you probably should check out the article. It's very good. And also for people not to be too critical of Amazon, I do think that people should remember that if it weren't for Brandon Green and if it weren't for some random events that happen where, 
you know, Fortnite luckily pivoted to Battle Royale, we could just as easily be talking about the failed Epic game that spent over six years in development only to flop. Uh, obviously, it went the other way. So luck definitely plays a role here. And while we laugh at Amazon, it should be nervous laughter as anyone in this industry can, can really bite it depending on how things play out. <laughs> I, I love how he says that this, it's, wait, it's hard to get things right, especially in the beginning. <sighs> What the heck does that mean? They've been doing this for 10 freaking years, right? Like, it's not like this is the beginning. This is like the result of 10 years of development. And so anyway, that's ironic, you know, in a lot of ways. But I do agree, creating games is hard. Um, and I do think they invested in some of the right people. They did hire some amazing talent. But I think, again, the incentives and the priorities were probably not aligned across the Amazon studios and the rest of the Amazon corporate uh, between all the different divisions. And the one big thing that they see, and they say in this thing is what you're saying about Lumberyard is that Lumberyard was likely not the right engine. That engine was the old Crytek engine. And I remember from way back in the day was that it was a beautiful engine, but it wasn't a very well put together engine for the majority of things. Actually, even Crytek couldn't even make a game that didn't have insane frame rate issues uh, with that tech. So. I think they were already at tech debt when they started these these projects in general with Crytek. They should have used Unreal or something more uh, more more robust, I suppose. But uh, you know, I, I, for me, it looks like they maybe just they, you know may potentially dismantle their entire entire game development um, efforts uh, and you know release these games and if they have success, you know, maintain. But it doesn't look like very good for these guys at this point. Um, but we've been talking about this ad nauseum, so I'm not going to continue. Um, what do you think? And I think we mentioned this before. I think I may have. But I think the other thing that people don't keep in mind is just that the culture and it is, I mean, the culture is really important. So like some of the folks who I've talked to that used to be part of Amazon Game Studios have said that they left because they were just bored. Like they were incredibly well paid, but they were essentially just kind of farting around because there was never any pressure to do anything. And so sometimes if you're like, if you're in a startup and it's like you succeed or die, well, you know what, you, you actually tend to succeed a lot more often than when you're just like, when you have no specific goals, people are just working on whatever they feel like and there's no pressure. So I definitely think that seems to have been an issue over at Amazon. Yeah, great point. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that um, in the next kind of like um, topic, but on, on Genshin. But before I get there, you know, I've been on, on this Amazon topic, I've been doing a lot of thinking around how to categorize the business strategies of various game studios. Uh, for example, data driven versus product driven versus tech driven versus creative driven. Uh, this is largely from actually, you know, watching your video about how to scale a startup, uh, Joseph, the other day. But, um, you know, in my mind, I think an example of a data-driven studio would be Playrix, product-driven would be Riot, tech-driven would be Epic, and creative-driven would be Nintendo. Let me know if any of you folks think differently. Um, Amazon's game studio's strategic decisions seem to be driven by tech more than anything else, possibly to the detriment of everything else. Um, and we should remind ourselves that a similarly driven tech strategy, uh, a tech driven start strategy like Epic, as Joseph mentioned, would have failed would they have launched Fortnite outside of the initial PUBG Battle Royale hype. Um, this has, you know, for me personally crystallized uh, my own philosophy that I think ultimately making great games should not be solely tech driven in order to succeed and needs really great understanding of product and or creative on the PC or console or quote unquote high definition side. Um, or, you know, a really firm understanding of data on the mobile side. Um, 
So uh, moving on to the next topic, which is Genshin Impact. Uh, Eurogamer released an um, article called Genshin Impact is a Revolution for Traditional Free-to-Play. And there's been a lot of buzz um, around, around this game. So you know, wanted to spend this week on the podcast going a bit deeper with, uh, uh, with Jeffrey Witt as well uh, on the line. So Genshin Impact is the new cross-platform free-to-play Breath of the Wild-like MMO uh, wow, that's a mouthful, <laughs> from indie Chinese developer MiHoYo Studios. And according to Sensor Tower, it made $60 million in its first week on mobile alone. Um, even more impressive is the fact that it continues to maintain its top ranking position on Twitch um, and other such platforms, which suggests the game is finding success on the quote-unquote high-definition platforms or HD platforms in the West as well, uh, which is a first for a Chinese company. Though Chinese studios have tried launching on PC and console platforms to capture Western audiences up to this point before, like Tencent's Ring of Elysium or also the Arena Valor port to Switch, uh, none have had, have had the financial nor cultural impact that Genshin Impact has enjoyed, making this game's truly uh, launch truly what I view to be as the birth of Chinese AAA. Okay, so whoa, whoa, whoa. easy, easy, Tiger, dude. <laughs> this thing just came out like two weeks ago. It's not like this revolution, you know? But go, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, let, let's take a step back and reflect on how we got here, though. Um, and, you know, I think Eric's right in the sense that who knows, it's still early. It may just peter and, and just, you know, die. But uh, but the fact that it got it, it got this high in the first place is is a testament to a credit to, you know, this this to, to this to the studio and to the actual Chinese developers there. So um, adoption of quote unquote hardcore mobile gaming experiences, uh, which I classify as greater than five minute session links, were birthed in China first with mobile MOBA Honor of Kings or known in the West as Arena Valor being kind of an early harbinger of what was to take over the country's gaming population. Uh, games like Honor of Kings any of the battle royale games from Knives Out to Rules of Survival to ultimately the two G mobiles, um, and also NetEase's Identity 5, which was a Dead by Daylight mobile clone. Um, all of these are examples of games that have become successful by pursuing a very basic high-level formula. Number one, don't waste money trying to be innovative on core gameplay. Number two, look at what players are already enjoying playing on PC or console. Number three, copy the key core mechanics. And number four, run fast, port, and adapt the game for a mobile audience. This process was applied again and again, and because China's domestic market is approximately equal to the rest of the world in terms of revenue market opportunity, the studios that are able to run the fastest to market were able to come out on top of all the other studios running the same gauntlet-like race. Um, in China, in, so in software development, there's a common phrase of Jojo Liu, or 996, which means that the normal expectation for a work week is 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. During crunch, that gets adjusted to Joseon Chi, or 937, 9 a.m. to 3 a.m., seven days a week. Even Yikes. Game, wow. Yeah. How, how can we compete with that? Bunch of exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can't compete. Um, even if a game studio doesn't necessarily practice 996 or 937, the fact is these teams are overall, I would argue, running a lot faster and also with incredibly bigger teams. Uh, hundreds, if not thousands, supporting one game, because that's what's needed to win 50% of the world's market in mobile, and equally as difficult, stay on top with continual content releases. But also, but also, it's like exponentially, not exponentially, it's much, much cheaper to develop in Asia as well, right? So the oh, 100 sure. million, the quote-unquote 100 million budget they had was probably the Goes equivalent a long of way. 200 to 250 million in the US, right? Totally. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, and you know, 
the other thing to note is that, you know, the most dominating Chinese games on the mobile market have strayed away from simply adopting the supercell type of model of monetization where uh, generally they, they employ quite predatory or pay to win tactics um, in supercell games due to the fact that they have small team sizes. So instead, Chinese studios are supporting games like Honor of Kings or PUBG Mobile, like how a Riot Games would support League of Legends. So before, uh, you know, Riot released the Legends of Runeterra or, um, or Valorant, Riot had 2,000 or so employees just working on one game, League of Legends. Um, I have an ex-colleague and friend of mine from Riot called Nan Duan, who now heads the Shanghai Dev Studio of Supercell. And before he joined Supercell last year, he wrote a blog post talking about how Supercell must really come to terms with this new era of competition coming out of China, because the old model of slow slash small content releases supported by lean teams may not be able to keep pace with the roaring growth of Chinese dev teams. All this setup, sorry, I know it's a huge setup, but all this setup leads me to the point that I'd like to make today with respect to Genshin Impact. So what do we have now? We have a situation where Chinese game studios have for years been running this incredibly competitive and challenging domestic rat race to win and stay on top in the mobile charts. They've scaled their teams to now have hundreds if not thousands of employees supporting these live service games. Mobile is now more saturated than ever, while the untapped blue oceans of Western's PC slash console markets seems more attractive than ever. And riding off the coattails of Nintendo's 10-year R&D development of Breath of the Wild's core gameplay, for example, like the chemistry system, and shortcutting all that R&D and playing into their existing strengths of production speed, the story of Genshin Impact success is just the next chapter of this overarching narrative of look, what, look at what's hot, find the openings in the market generally where that game has not yet penetrated, copy core gameplay, and port and adapt for the new platforms. If you're not a Chinese dev, and if this doesn't scare you, then you're in for a rude awakening, buddy. The industry has globalized, and the sleepy Western devs that trudge into work at 10 a.m., take their one-hour lunch breaks, and check out at 5 p.m., they're going to wake up one day and find that their lunch will have been eaten by the hungrier devs out there in the world. All the money that's getting thrown by Silicon Valley venture capitalists towards all these new indie studios spinning out of Riot and Blizzard and other AAA Western studios, I think in the long run, it, is possibly, it will probably do more harm than good because what it does is it's emboldened all these studios to think that they have the runway and they have the time. It lulls them into a false sense of security that they have the freedom and flexibility to reinvent the real. Really though, we in the West all need to wake up to the uncomfortable truth that in order to maintain our competitive edge over China, we need to quote unquote, try hard as well. Jesus Christ, Kenneth. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with you, dude? You see, you're worse than me, dude. <clears throat> Uh, Man, it's scary. I mean, uh, I went to Shenzhen every month for um, when I was still working on League of Legends Wild Rift on that project, and to just see, see like on the ground, you know what 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 it's like out there. They like sleep at their desks, you know. They uh, they they work super hard. It's like a, it's like almost like a sweatshop. Like it's like a factory. There's like just hundreds and thousands of just like masses of employees. It's insane. It's it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I was basically going to say almost the exact same thing you just said, but. Even I like toned it down a little bit there, <laughs> Kenneth. Um, so, yeah, actually, the more I read about this particular game, the more I get a little bit scared uh, for the same reasons that Kenneth just kind of outlined. Now, the one big caveat here, and I've heard this in the press as well, like, I'm not sure this game has legs. Like, I, it, what? it could be the ultimate shark fin type game because it's pay to win. The content's not there. People have already blown through the content. They're already complaining that there's nothing else to do. They're starting new accounts and they're doing all kinds of crazy shit just to basically, and the, and the, and the, and the end game system is pretty 
challenging to progress because it, it relies on this resin system, which depletes so that you can't really farm materials to upgrade your characters. And sorry, I'm not going to get too far into this because it's super dorky. But the point is, why this is scary is because they basically invested the equivalent of what I said earlier, like $200 million in a free-to-play MMO, right? There are very few developers in the West that would put that money in that kind of investment because there's too much risk, right? MMOs have been dominated by World of Warcraft for decades, over a decade, right? <clears throat> so I don't think these Western publishers are willing or unlike, sorry, they're very unlikely or unwilling to invest that kind of money. <clears throat> and we have all these like super well-funded startups like Super Evil Megacorp, Bonfire, Series 8, you know, among a few, among, a, there's much more. Um, that are actually trying to build this exact game, right? More or less, right? They're trying to build an MMO. They're trying to build a social game, software as a service, ongoing revenue stream, free to play, cross-platform. Like this thing hits all the buzzwords except for user-generated content, right? Basically, User-generated content. <laughs> I just said that. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just being facetious. Uh, okay. But anyway, so that's the only thing that, that that's the only tick that they're not doing. But um, so what's my point? The point here is that the other th oh the other thing that's driving me insane is that these this predatory uh, monetization practice so this gotcha shit which has been completely getting destroyed in Europe and North America they bring this game in here in Genjin and and it is absolutely pay to win right absolutely a hundred percent right the more money you spend the more powerful you get the easier it is through the content but luckily there's not a lot of P there's not a lot of PVP so it's not really pay to win in that sense it's just pay to progress i suppose so anyway i think publishers and you made the same point is like supercell uh you know super eagle mega mega corp all these guys riot you know they're they're just too wimpy right they're not going to put these predatory practices in place from a monetization point but china doesn't give a shit right they're just going to keep doing it right <clears throat> and that's the way you can make you know, hundreds of millions of dollars on a smaller style game, right? That doesn't have the reach of something like Riot or Riot's games or, um, or you know, anything coming from Blizzard or anything coming from uh, Supercell. So anyway, Wait, I, we've yeah, already- what are, you, what are you saying? Are you saying that the predatory monetization practices are too wimpy or that it seems like you're saying it won't work or it's not good in Genshin. So what, what are you saying? I am saying, that it is working in Genshin, okay. they are going to earn their money back, right? You already have. If yeah, if Genshin had come out with the same type of game and done some type of like battle pass or something like that, I just don't think it would have done well, nearly do as well as it's pass. been doing. What's that? They do have the battle, battle pass. Passes so they very, don't solely rely on that. They're, they're, yeah, the battle. Yeah, exactly. Battle pass systems. is super light too. It's, yeah. I, I don't. I, actually, I paid for it. I don't even know if it's worth it to be honest. I got. I got to look into that. But anyway. Um, but anyway, I don't know. I may be wrong on this. I, I'm not sure. But I, the, the gauntlet has dropped. I think, you know, this is the first Asian game that's really competing against that Fortnite or going after that Fortnite money. Uh, we'll see how long it lasts. But we've already seen Amazon crash and burn, right? Ubisoft failed with their game. Valorant did extremely well initially, but I'm hearing that that's starting to fall off. Um, but, you know, we're seeing that Genshin is certainly outperforming Valorant out of the gate, right? But... You know, for me, this is like the most fascinating part of this business. You know, this real disruption, um, you know, people from outside publishing things that actually really impact, you know, what people are playing and impact how 
games are made going forward, you know, similar to like the Japanese developers with like uh, puzzles and dragons that came out with this gotcha mechanic that everyone started copying the West, right? So things like that, like that makes this business really, really interesting and kind of like mixes it up a bit. But given what we're where we're at uh, with game development in the West, I, I just don't know if if we are going to be able to respond. And I think it's more like, well, I'm not going to go into the political rant about China, but I think there is more po possibility of China being more regulated in the West, uh, the way they regulate our games in the West, in the East. So I don't know. Anyway, any other comments, Mr. Witt? Well, I, I do think uh, uh, what uh, Kenneth said it was on the minds of investors. I've heard multiple investors ask um, me, you know, with certain game designs, you know, are you concerned that China's just gonna sort of take that, develop a game, copying it, and you know, and put a lot more money into it, and sort of like over, um, you know, overtake you know the progress you make with the new game? So definitely, investors are concerned with you know the potential of China just to be able to fast follow and um, make a bigger hit than you know uh, Western uh, developers. So I mean, I personally think that this is a to Kenny's point, like figuring out the gameplay and figuring out product market fit is is an incredible amount of R&D. And if you're able to shortcut that and just execute against content production, then you're in a pretty good spot. And so I think we're definitely in trouble. And I think just the strategy of like, it, when you look at the HD market, you just like, look, look at all the shit that's working on Nintendo. And then you just just execute that against uh, PlayStation and PC and so forth. And uh, that's a great model. So I do think that what we're seeing in terms of not only Genshin, but the quality and the content execution in Black Myth Wukong, I, I think this is a brand new age, right? This is going to be the, the birth of a Chinese HD development scene. And I think that they are going to, they're going to, I mean, look what happened with RPG on mobile, right? It's like, uh, when you look at RPG, 4X, March Battle, it's all Chinese publishers now and developers. And so I think this is going to happen in the console space. And But at, at the same time, I don't, I'm not as xenophobic here because I, I think that, you know, having worked in China, one of the things that is underestimated about a lot of Chinese developers, just how creative they are. They are actually incredibly creative. They are. Yeah, everybody thinks that they're not, but they actually yeah. are, you know? And it's because that they had to basically find, like, battles, sorry, they had to test that creativity through just, like, intense, intense cycles of iteration. So, you know, they've definitely built up that muscle. Yeah, and I think also just hardship builds creativity and innovation. So so I, I think that we're going to see some dope shit coming out of China, and I think this is the birth of a new age. But I think the one thing that I haven't personally seen, haven't worked in China, is, you know, whether it's the 996 or the 93, whatever. Yeah, I, I didn't see that. <laughs> I never saw that. When I was in China, I was like, hey, guys, where's this 996? Let's go, let's go. But, you know, not, not a whole lot of guys followed me, so... I see. It could have been. It could have been. Uh, it could just be relative to like you know big. Sorry, related to big studios. So I think like big studios generally have a um, a worse reputation with respect to those. Types well, of I mean, the fact that the terms exist probably is a pretty good indication that the shit happens, right? I mean, I don't know. Like yeah, but I mean, doing that for a week or you know for a few weeks for a specific milestone is that eh, that's not. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> anyway. So. All right. The, the last article. 
which is completely unrelated and probably uninteresting to the majority of the audience, is that the World of Warcraft Next expansion has been delayed. And wow, very sad day for Mr. Kress over here. So basically, it's been delayed to later this year, in quotes. So we don't know exactly when it's coming out again. They say that the leveling con content is super complete, uh, but they need to re redesign their end game uh, for balance. And so basically it's something about covenants and you get special in-game bonuses and tools. The other things mentioned about that policing system, blah, 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 whatever. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, no one cares, but me, right? And they just released a pre-patch today so that you can play and level up your character. So if you have never played World of Warcraft, it's the best time ever to play the game, right? Yeah. So anyway, the reason this is relevant is that it's just another sign that what happens when many of the most talented people leave at Blizzard, you know, because of the mismanagement of Activision. You know, when all the key design people have left, the, the engineers and 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 this type of misexecution is gonna happen, right? I mean, they've had two years to make this game ready and they have been doing this for 14 years so it should be plenty of time to get this stuff done i just don't think they have as much capability as they've had in the past so and then the other thing that really scares me about this and what's more relevant for this is i don't know what this means for blizzard like this is not good for blizzard in the sense that the whole point of re envisioning what blizzard is is to make games come out on time right and more frequently right fat making franchises faster and better and so I'm sure, you know, Bobby's McKenzie, McKenzie henchmen are already looking at people who they're going to fire within the company, that will be anybody that's left, you know. And so, and I, and I imagine this coupled with the fact that Morheim created a group right next door uh, to steal people, Bobby must be just furious right now. So anyway, so the point I really want to make is that we really haven't seen much, anything major coming out from Blizzard in a long time. You know, the release of the old Blizzard uh, sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. The release of WoW Classic uh, was probably the last game that came out of the old Blizzard. And now we're kind of in this new era. And so the first thing out of the gate that's part of the new era is delayed for a random, no, non, a not very compelling reason. reason. And so during the same time, we've seen the basic demise of Hearthstone, the annihilation of Heroes of the Storm, mismanagement of Diablo, Mior, sorry, Diablo Immortal, and now the delay of WoW. So it's not looking good so far, right? And I, I think it's just gonna get worse because whatever happens from now on is basically on Activision's watch, right? Any games that are released are bit on their watch, right? So, and, yeah. and we have Diablo Immortal, we have Overwatch 2 coming, probably not next year because there's no way they're getting that game out. Diablo 4 is like eons away. These are all being impacted directly by Bobby and his, his, his legion of consultants, right? From Bain and McKenzie. So I remain very, 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 very worried about the future of Blizzard. And anybody that's a fan of Blizzard should be worried as well about their ability to execute. They still have the most amazing IP on the world uh, for gaming, but uh, I think their ability to execute is gonna be super compromised over the next, uh, you know, two to three years. Yeah, I agree 1000% with everything you said, Eric. I think the other thing that, you know, I think people are also like the other thing they actually take into consideration is the fact that, you know, you have Dreamhaven, you have Mike Morham studio, which is not a studio. It's a studio of studios, it's a studio of two studios. Um, that's going to try and pull like talent away from Blizzard and Riot. You have all these Riot studios that are spinning out. You have this like 
I guess, like renaissance of indie studios that are being funded and spinning out, spinning out from Southern California from from these uh, big AAA companies. Where do you think they're going to hire the talent? You know, they're going to hire the talent from from the existing companies because people are fed up and they're tired of you know, I guess, the lack of um, the the change in direction of of, uh, of of Blizzard at least from a strategy perspective. So, um, and that's all that's all on Bobby's head. So, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting time. I kind of disagree a little bit. So um, I definitely think that there is kind of a talent drain from Blizzard and that could be consequential over the next few years. But um, if you talk to a lot of fans of World of Warcraft, they actually view the delay as like a kind of a good thing because, you know, for years they've been concerned that Activision pushes Blizzard to put out content that's not ready or that isn't fully tested or balanced. And they would expect Blizzard to release Shadowlands on schedule because that's what the you know Activision wants. It's definitely better for their market performance of, of their stock and stuff like that. But the delay to some fans feels like that's Blizzard doing what's best for the game, which is what they want to begin with. Um, you know, they they delayed um, back in Burning Crusade. They delayed that a few months. It was supposed to launch uh, near the end of 2006. It ended up launching January 2007, um, and um, fans definitely enjoyed that. So I, I'm not, I don't, I wouldn't take the delay as a, necessarily a sign that, you know, um, Blizzard is changing, but um, it's definitely not good for their business um, when any, anything is delayed. Um, so uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm uh, I, I don't view the delay as, as consequential as, as, as uh, you, you guys seem to be arguing. I, I actually, I 100% agree with what you just said, right? I think the fact that they're delaying it is good for the fan, for sure. Like, and it's it's good to make sure the thing is polished and ready to go when the time comes, because nothing could be worse for World of Warcraft than coming out with something that's unbalanced. And I mean, don't let me dork out too much. But and we and theories that we still have to see how it releases if it actually is, you know, bug free or you know, polished and well. Well, it's also it's not a very well. Well, it's not going to be a very good expansion is my understanding. But regardless of that, my, this is not my point. My point is, is that the whole point of all the things that Blizzard is, that Activision has been doing to Blizzard, destroying the company, <clears throat> making people leave in droves, you know, every senior person is gone except for like two senior designers is because yeah. they want predictability and they want consistency and they want things released on time, right? And so... None of that is happening, right? <laughs> Nothing they're doing is making that better, right? Overwatch was two was supposed to be released last year, right? Diablo Immortal was supposed to be in beta last year, like a year ago, right? It's still not in beta, right? Diablo is was re rethought out like uh, uh, I think twelve months ago or eighteen months ago, right? It's completely re rebooted, right? So nothing that they're doing is ha having any positive impact, and. And, and then a lot of things that are going on behind the scenes, they're basically firing a bunch, or they're not giving people raises, and they're like, you know, they're doing all kinds of crazy shit that is making people furious, right? And it's just getting worse. And so if, so I, 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 get, I talk to investors about this all the time, and so like, I hear what, what Bobby is saying to them, and, 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 and it makes sense from that perspective, they're trying to, to leverage that asset and, 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 and do better. But nothing they're doing is making it better. They're making it worse, making it a lot worse, a lot worse. And so I agree from a customer perspective, the fan base, yes, make this thing as pol polish this thing as much as possible. You know, it may be a turd, but polish this turd as possible, much as possible. So we can start playing and get our get our get our hair on on, you know, let's do this. But um, but 
at the end of the day, it's it, they're not executing, right? They're not executing against the plan that was in place. And so Bobby is going to be furious, right? Because all these consultants are not doing what they what they're meant to be doing, right? And and that's what I'm talking about, right? Not I, I, you're right. I am glad that they are actually allowed to push this out, but there is going to be consequence, right? This is going to be bad, right? It's going to get worse, right? So, so Eric, what's what's propping up Blizzard now? Is most of their revenue coming from World of Warcraft, or what? What should we be watching for? Where it's like, oh shit, now Blizzard's in trouble. Well, WoW Classic kind of saved them because if if WoW Classic hadn't been such a success, um, and this was thing, this this was contemplated like. I think five years ago, because I mean, I don't know if you want to get too dorky about it, but there are like <laughs> secondary servers out there that were actually capturing this audience of millions of people that were willing to play this, right? And they were all yeah. totally hacked and not, not, and so the Blizzard people saw this and said, hey, shit, we should do this, right? And it took forever, I think, to get approval and, and all this other stuff. And do they really want to have two teams working on it? I don't know. I and mean, there's all kinds of issues around it, but ultimately they did it. And the thing is minting money, right? Both, not only in North America, but also in Asia, evidently as well. So that pretty much saved them. So what's really, the really key thing is Diablo Immortal, right? That's the first thing that likely will come out, maybe, right? I mean, yeah. It's been forever, right? And then Overwatch. Overwatch is the real like test, right? Because I think this game is going to be an absolute disaster, right? So they just do not have the design that's actually going to penetrate what the market really needs or wants from Blizzard, right? And then and then Diablo 4. See, now Diablo 4 is another problem. The thing is that that thing sells no matter what. I mean, it sells 15 million units, just put the Diablo 4 marker on it. But is it a good game? I, maybe. I don't know. Who knows, right? And who knows if that'll ever get out. But so anyway, to answer your question, Diablo Mortal will be the first. Overwatch, which I don't think was going to make it next year, um, it will be the second. Um, and then the, the quality of this expansion, too, will be relevant to some degree. Well, right. the, the interesting thing about this expansion is they're fixing the early game, you know, for new players. So that's not such a mismatch of going to different expansion content and stuff like that, which should be pretty interesting. But um, uh, I do think with World of Warcraft, you have to look at two things. One is their subscriber base, which, you know, will decline over time. But two, how big of a spike of subscribers do they get with each expansion? If an expansion comes out and you don't see a, a spike of subscribe of uh, subscribers, that's going to be problematic too, because again, like World of Warcraft is printing money because it's a subscription model, um, and you know they have millions of subscribers. Not as much as in the old days, but um, definitely a good position to be in uh, for Blizzard, at least with regards to that game. Yeah, I mean, this is getting a little bit too close to my prime business, so <laughs> I'm not gonna. I don't want to comment too much on this, uh, but I, well, here's what I will say: the fact is that this WoW Classic did increase the uh, return of older players, and so this expansion, in theory, should do better than the last one because there's just more of an active base playing the game right now. So I think that the real. So I'm not really too worried about this game performing well. What I'm more worried about is the retention after the fact, right? Is how deep will the how 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 uh, the the curve the retention curve how will that how sorry how the quality of that this this content will impact that retention curve because the last expansion wasn't so good either, frankly. So no, um, it wasn't. Yeah, but tying uh, it back to Genshin Impact, it seems like it's only going to be a matter of time where more Chinese development studios get the capabilities and eventually go after this WoW market, right? 
Yeah, but the problem is that the Genshin game doesn't have the Elder Genshin. I'm saying a developer like MiHoYo that goes after Breath of the Wild that will start going after other categories in HD. I think it's only a matter of time before. Yeah, but, uh, but they're going to get markets, right? They're going to be like, where, where are their big markets? And then we're going to attack those markets. Yeah, but I mean, WoW has been around for 14 years and everyone's trying to come at them with everything, whether it's, you know, Star Wars or the, you know, lineage or the Japanese guy or Korean guys doing, you know, Blade, Blade and Soul. Like there's been so many MMOs thrown out there that have failed miserably that um, I, I I do think it's, a, it's, it, it's tougher. That's so... Anyway, sorry, this is a longer conversation, but at the end of the day, like having a, a subscription-based service in which you can develop the content and the end game to keep people engaged is a completely different animal than building Genshin, right? Genshin is a single player experience in which you're going through the content, leveling up your characters with this fucking insane monetization scheme, right? And that's a much easier design than trying to build out an elder game or a PVP system or whatever. That's not what they're attempting. I don't think they should, frankly, I think they should stay in this lane if they are going to want to be, want to see some, see success, but I don't know. Well, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, no, I agree with you, Eric. It's a different type of product. I'm just saying that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be in their sites. <laughs> wow. is definitely in the sights of some Chinese developer right now. And I'm sure people are thinking about it. Yeah, uh, and and let then maybe him, let them come. Yeah, maybe to close, Jeff. Do you have any going back to Genshin? I know you played it. And I know you've thought about it. Like, what what is your thoughts in terms of, you know, how well it'll do? What what were your thoughts in terms of the monetization scheme? Um, so I feel like the monetization scheme is actually not as aggressive or as deep as I thought it would be. I mean, it's pretty deep, but with the size of their player base, they don't need it to be super deep to make a, a lot of money. Um, it you know. Since the beginning of free-to-play, you know, people have, you know, some designers have argued that these free-to-play systems can fit into AAA gameplay just fine. And I think Genshin Impact not only is, is an example of that, but I think it also improves on the gameplay um, that it's based on. I mean, Breath of the Wild uh, is a, bre- you know, is, is a stunning game uh, visually, but had a, a lot of design flaws. And I feel like Genshin Impact uses free-to-play mechanics to make up for a lot of those uh, flaws. Um, uh, to Eric's point, I am concerned about the Elder game. Um, they do have a sort of a live op setup where you have a daily, weekly, monthly con- you know, uh, content to go through. Um, but if World of Warcraft is any indication, that is not enough to keep hardcore players, um, you know, or, or players just satisfied. They're going to, uh, from what I've seen, at least, they're going to really need to, I think, at some point, focus more on Elder Game stuff. Uh, besides more Elder Game con- content, um, you know, that they'll want to sort of put in more social, which is kind of lacking. I mean, you know, you can team up with other, you know, players to do some of these um dungeons but uh you know there's definitely room for more social um you know i i don't see it ever getting huge into pvp but you can um maybe some sort of pvp would be good um but yeah there's no there's no balance in the characters for pvp and by the way for the record jeffrey are you saying that this game is better than breath of the wild yes Uh, you are i heard it I heard it. I, 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 I am because, you know, this has, <laughs> like, this this game, Genshin Impact, uses a lot of the free, free-to-play mechanics to give players direction, which is something that Breath of the Wild lacks uh, severely, and I hate Breath of the Wild's weapon system. Like, I would much rather have a money-grubbing, like, weapon enhancement system 
that, you know, I wouldn't have to switch out my weapon every like two minutes, you know, playing the game than, than what Breath of the Wild did. Um, Man, you're going to get some serious hate, dude. That, that's fine. Watch, <laughs> watch your Twitter account. Uh, good thing I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's it. Thank you, Jeff. All right. There it is. Twig 104 in the books. See y'all later. Bye.